Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk podcasts. This is your host, Susie Lewis, speaking from Toulouse. And in this episode of Let's Talk, we will be discussing organizational agility and how to best frame it for success in today's digital age. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Raj Fowler, a global business leader passionate about sustainable digital transformation and director of enterprise services at DevOps Group. Raj, you have over 20 years of experience in product development, transformation, DevOps, and are constantly supporting organizations to transform sustainably, an objective we share and, in fact, how we connected on this quest to help organizations not only adopt practices and and philosophies that allow them to improve performance, but also to help them create sustainable change. I would like to start with your adaptive IT framework. Yeah, I read your adaptive IT framework. Very impressive. Lots of questions came to mind. I think the biggest one was, you know, we're both passionate about helping organizations look at sustainable digital transformation. And I feel like saying looking at digital and transformation, because if you look at what this pandemic's brought, both of them have been accelerated exponentially at the same time. I don't know how you see leaders dealing with that, with the more data-driven ways of working, and particularly that acceleration? Well, first of all, thanks for the good feedback. <laughs> um, it, it, it's pretty fresh and pretty new, so you know, I, I think it's really good, and then the people have written it, so getting some external perspectives mm. uh, is really positive. And it's really interesting because, um, again, the blog article that I've been, I've been writing, it, it, it talks about how it actually references, you know, the meme that you see, you know, what's yeah. happening with digital transformation and then COVID, so yeah. and, and, you know, it's supposed to be funny, but actually, do you know what? It's quite serious. It has. Mm. So I'm working with um, various organisations, and I'm, I'm going to include our own. So I'm going to yeah. include DevOps Group in this. We've, we've had to really think about what is it we're trying to achieve? You know, mm. what, what do our customers really need? And what data points are needed? And funnily enough, two of my kind of enterprise engagements uh, are sort of focusing around data and analytics, mm. you know, one mm. of my customers really kind of focusing on how do you bring all of that customer data, market data, performance data all together in one place. And then how do you analyze it? How do you visualize it and analyze it? Yeah. I and then how do, how do you make sense of it? I mean, I don't know. I think we're making an assumption, or should I say, I'm making an assumption when I ask you that question that they've put it all in one place. They've all visualized it, visualized it and they've all aligned on the analysis of what it means <laughs> maybe that's a bit naive of me <laughs> well this is the thing i think there's um i think many organizations are recruiting like roles like data scientists mm. and, stuff. Mm. You know, and, and i think the first thing is what's the question we want to answer and then what's the data needed to answer that question and, and again as an organization we've done the same you know what are the questions we need to answer where's that data and it's in multiple sources even in a small organization like ours so how do we bring that together? So we're using like, you know, Power BI. Mm. And then how do we give tools and capabilities to the people who need to make those decisions so they can min- manipulate, wrong word, but analyze that data mm. without having to take it all out and put it in a spreadsheet, do something yeah. with it, and you lose sight of the, the, the reality. So a lot of our organizational decisions now are, you know, we have a, a Monday morning call where we look at our systems. Right? What do mm. they tell us? Do we, is our strategy still valid? Is our direct? Mm still you know mm. right what else do we need to do how do we preempt things that might happen in three four five six months what are the trigger points at which we need to react and adapt to that i'm able to see that at a mm. kind of an, an organization our size level the same principles i can see much much bigger organizations trying to address and one of the challenges is i think historically 
an organization will look at data that was maybe six months old, right? Try and make a decision for it. And then by the time they've enacted those decisions, six months more is gone. And, and it, there's a really good book, I think it's called The Art of Action by mm. Steve Bungay. And he talks about Napoleon having to make decisions mm. when, you know, a messenger's come to you, like taken six weeks or whatever to get to mm. you. You then got really old information. You make a decision, then they go all the way back yeah. <laughs> to the front line. And then they, yeah. and by that time, the whole world's changed. It's an invalid decision and it causes, if people just follow it blindly, mm. you know, chaos. Yeah. I mean, and it's I, even more, it's even more relevant now, isn't it? Because it's so quick. The speed of information is so quick and you've got to make those decisions so quickly and humans don't make decisions quickly do they so I mean it's really interesting and that's what I loved about your framework which is multifaceted the role of technology in that is basically pushing the rest isn't it it's it's a catalyst for behaving differently around what technology brings or should I say that was my understanding of well it's what I see and it's what I read in your framework it's one of the gold rats Mm. You like old rats principles, you know, if you're going to mm. bring new technology into play and, you know, it could be a machine, it could be a computer, it could be AI, whatever. What's the rules that need to change? What rules do you need to change? So if you can now do, I think the, the example was um, uh, an ERP system. You bring in an ERP system that can crunch data overnight, which used to take 10 people 10 days to do. Yeah. <laughs> do you still make data every uh, decisions every 10 days or do you now make those decisions every day? That's and when really the ERPs first went in, people mm. were still making decisions every 10 days or whatever it was, two weeks. When actually they could make the decision every day now. What stock do they need? Yeah. What replenishment mm. should they have? You know, what, mm. how much can they make tomorrow? And that's the thing we need to be doing now. Uh, uh, many organizations are. They're, they're looking at yesterday's data to determine what change needs to happen tomorrow. Not yeah. six months data for six months time. Yeah. And they're the, the organizations who can really then, if they can do that and they can reorientate their products and services in that sort of time frame, or, or be it maybe not yesterday and tomorrow, but mm. in a short time frame, they can pivot and they can react to what's going on with their customers, the market, every single rule change that yeah, you have yeah. Oh, we're locked down, we're not locked down, we're locked down, we're not locked down. Oh, you tell me about it. <laughs> and being able to then adapt to that, I think um, they're the ones who are going to survive and thrive. But if I look at like, and I agree with you, but if I look at big organizations, which are like, I like to call them massive machines in terms of bureaucracy, in terms of process, in terms of how decisions are made, but not only just the way things happen, yeah. you know, how do you, how do you therefore help those organizations move to a place where they have a different type of agility? You can't, you can't start off at, at the big level. No. It's always got to be start mm. off at the small mm. level. And, you know, we kind of absolutely advocate, go find an area, right? identify what the, the product is or the service or the value stream is, mm. organize the team around mm. that value stream, build those technical capabilities that really eliminate a lot of the constraints. So using things like infrastructure as code and automation and stuff mm. like that, really start with that kind of you know mindset shift of that team. At the same time, you need to start hitting some of the bigger blockers across the organization. So how do you do governance? How do you do security? How do you embed that? into day-to-day work rather mm. than it being a gate at the end yeah but you're suggesting that they embed that into smaller pilot areas exactly and start mm. and then take the principles and this is important take the principles and share them right now what i've seen many people try and do is a team has done it let's copy and paste 
Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, that that might not work for mm. this team. It might not work for a different value chain. It might not work for a different technology mm. or architecture or whatever. But if you take those principles, and it might be that you know, this team is using such and such tools that has embedded governance in such a way or whatever, right, okay, we'll take the principles and apply them to team two. It's you know, a little I, bit like um, team of teams, isn't it? You sort of take it, and in terms of structure and mindset, if it, yeah. what I'm hearing you saying is you duplicate it, but it's not a one-size-fits-all. So, I mean, what I... I see them struggle a lot with and I always help them with is customizing their model to them. So like they can never be the startup that they're learning from or the team that they're learning from. I mean, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think um, it's quite interesting. A lot of people take that Spotify engineering culture yeah. video. I think that's <laughs> the answer. The key thing is the principles were really useful for me when I set up my teams back in the enterprise. And it's as long as you take those principles and apply them, do you have to do chapters and squads and tribes and all that? Well, probably not, but mm. you Figure out what works for you. And that piece there, you know, all of this, and I hopefully saw that in the thread of the adaptive IT, a big part of it is is to do with mindset. It's about that cultural shift. It's about mm. the hardest bit is the people change every day. Yeah. yeah. And I like the adaptive IT framework because it is that is a red thread. And there are red threads that are picked up in every single bit. But I think I don't know how long it took you to simplify it down to that level where you can read it and say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm recognizing myself in there or I'm seeing what I'm seeing at my clients there. or Oh, so that's why it didn't work. You know, those light, what I call light bulb moments. How long did it take you to simplify something that is essentially incredibly complex and very interconnected? Oh, my goodness. I can't remember when we first started it because, again, like for most things, it's been something that's evolved and mm. it's been – probably for, for myself and the guy who wrote most of it, Steve Fair, it's been kind of a passion of ours to, to kind of really, you know, pull together so mm. many different, you know, principles and concepts and, mm. and artifacts when, you know, you the, the content of what's in those white papers is probably in about 20 or 30 different books. Mm. Yeah. Um, and there's so many, if you go to the IT Revolution website and you look at the, the DevOps talks that have been done, to mm. DevOps, there's lots of great learnings from there. So we're trying to put it all together and, to a degree, it's been a side of the desk project for us both. Probably taken us a good, you know, year and a half, two years to do that from when we first kind of started scribbling down what the framework might look like. But you're right, kind of the, the trying to distill all of kind of the thought leadership, the books yeah. we've read and the practical experience into what is 242 pages. <laughs> Of documentation altogether it's it's been really quite tough and what what inspired you to to write that why why did you feel that you had to frame the subject right so i, th- I think for, for people listening you know mm. I, i'm probably very used to the kind of the traditional operating model organizational model you know business models that that are in place you know mm. and people will talk about you know what's our capability model for example yeah what yeah. does our organization do? What does our operate model mm. look like? And, you know, I'm kind of, um, my background was in service integration and management. So I was very familiar with SIAM and, yeah. and the kind of six layers of SIAM and all of that kind of stuff. And we had an organization that was plan, build, operate. And then we had a capability model, which was kind of, you know, plan services, build services, run services and, mm. and functional stuff. And, and basically, I've got this kind of philosophy inside me that kind of helped me with my transformation, which was, you need to use the culture to change the culture. You can't Hang on, start. I love that. What you, Use the culture to change the culture. What, what do you mean by that? You can't 
start from a mm. blank sheet of paper no. and no. say to everybody, forget everything that you've grown up with and go to this Netflix thing. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to work. And people don't know how to get there. No. And so I spent a long time looking at what does the operating model for DevOps look like in an enterprise when I was doing the change myself? Mm. How do I reorientate my organizational model and how do I reorientate my capability model? You know, what are the capabilities? Mm. And I used the structures, you know, we had business management systems, we had mm. organizers, we had we had different things that kind of demonstrated our way of working around here, our culture. Yeah. In, in the enterprise. So I needed to replace that with another set of artifacts that we could see that could be built into the BMS system, to the HR system, to, you know, um, to the operating model mm. framework. And this was what it was going to be. And as I went, and I, I've spoken to many, many companies since I've left, it's the same problem. They're all, yeah. they've all got these models. And so mm. what I wanted to do is, you know, if you look at adaptive IT, there, there's an operating model in there, right? Yeah. If you look at it, there's an organizational model in there, and there's a, a capability model in there. And then there's only one that doesn't fit, which is culture, because there is a <laughs> really culture model. Yeah. I've seen that's effective. It's just mm -hmm. kind of a thing that's done in the side by maybe some HR people, mm -hmm. rather than being integrated into the fabric of day-to-day -day working. Yeah. And so yeah. that's why this kind of, you know, you see the people process tool stuff in there, but I've also, had, you know, we've also added the culture as a, a key pillar. Yeah, and, and it's and massive, it isn't it? the hardest paper to write. I believe you. <laughs> no, I believe you. And I think it's, it's interesting because each culture has its own quirks that are unwritten. So getting to grips with that, even if you understand your data and the model, getting people to change the way they do things is really really difficult i think and that's one of the things isn't it about i mean it reminds me a little bit of lean yeah. methodology you know current state mapping future state mapping you know visualizing what you've got to understand where the where the points are that where you need to work and getting people involved and things like that but so much of lean that i've seen done can be done on the production line where you can see it and the waste is being taken out and it's obvious and you see the kanban you see what it brings to the flow yeah. But in a transactional environment, because data isn't always tangible, is it? So, you know, it's really interesting. How do you see that playing out and how do you help navigate that cultural discussion? Well, I think that it, a lot of the principles apply. So, you know, mm. what you talked about there, you know, the lean stuff, you know, mm. Goldman said, you know, what to change, what to change to and how to enact the change. You know, those three questions. Mm. And, and if you look at the adaptive IT model, there's a page on there which says, you know, for each one of those five areas, the from to kind of conversation. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But it's quite interesting when when you read them. Um, I don't know if you've read the Phoenix Project, yeah. Yes, I have. Yeah. But, you know, you look at Bill, and then you've mm. got Eric who's walking yes. around, and, and, and you know, and, and the, the goal also has two characters. One of which is Jonas. Mm. You know, the kind of consultant character doesn't tell the main character what to change and what to change to. You know, it's all about sharing principles. But basically, it's the person who's embedded in that organization, who's embedded in the culture, embedded in the ways of working, has all the scars of working there. <laughs> is they're the people who've got to figure out the right answer. And this is the problem. I think you know, no disrespect to any fellow consultants <laughs> there in the world, but often we go in thinking mm. we know what the right answer is, and the answer is we don't. You know, no. we might have some views of what the future picture might look like mm. but we've got to provide kind of coaching and mentoring and, and advice 
to the people who are doing the job. They need to create time and capacity to change. And I think that's also a shift of the digital age, isn't it? It's the shift in, for me, consulting is changing massively from, like you say, turning up the solution on PowerPoint and turning up, empathising with your clients, understanding what they're doing, and co-creating a solution. And like you say, that takes time and headspace and resource. Um, but I, th- I don't think the old consulting model works anymore for that very reason. Things just move so quickly. And for having worked in an organisation, now being on outside of organisations, if you're not part of that organisation it's very difficult to understand the implicit codes of the organisation. And, and that's what essentially needs to be changed is the assumptions. Exactly. I mean, I, when, I, when I left the enterprise, I thought, you know, I can tell everybody what to do now because I know I've done it. Right? <laughs> yeah. And it and works. <laughs> why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Mm. What you need to do? And it's like, it, it didn't take me long to realise, actually, no, I've got to just help the, these people on a journey, right? Mm. And mm. I remember I, I, in one of my kind of, articles that I wrote on LinkedIn uh, as part of the DevOps playbook. Mm. The first article was the the Spider-Man story, you know, where you get (laughs) and became Spider-Man and all that kind of stuff. And I realized that, you know, how how could I be a solution to the problem if I was part of the problem? I had to relearn. I, I had to unlearn and relearn. And I had to, as the change agent, start what, what Jamel Qureshi talks about, he's a performance coach, you think, you feel, you act. Yeah. I'd place the patterns and pictures in my mind to feel different, to enable my actions. And then I had to do the same for the rest of my organisation. Yeah, and I think, you know, everyone talks about turning around the paradigm instead of, you know, thinking about the way you feel, it's feeling about the way you think and, you know, re- reversing that mechanism and, and just thinking, well, you know, how else can I do that differently I think learning and learning and relearning is the biggest challenge yeah. of the digital age and how do you see sort of top teams dealing with that how do you see the, the top level buy-in dealing with not only learning relearning and unlearning but also their whole um, landscape has changed hasn't it in terms of metrics in terms of reporting in terms of ways of doing things uh, again that's a that's a really hard question mm. you know, I haven't been in leadership in leadership now, you know, the days get consumed. You know, we yeah. were just talking about it before we yeah. get yeah. uh, you know, it. It's not just part of the day job anymore. It kind of spills out into other times mm. of life. And, you know, when you're, you know, if you're delivering, you know, services to customers right now or technology or mm. whatever it is, it's most likely at the leadership level, you are maxed out. You're, you've got calls on your time, demands all over the place. And, you know, you've you've had maybe just enough information and knowledge to say that, you know, ch- change is good and this is what it looks like, whether mm. you want to add agile, DevOps, digital, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. People are saying, well, actually, this kind of way of working doesn't work anymore and this kind of way of working actually works. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, right, strategy, everybody <laughs> go do this. But what they haven't done themselves, and, and maybe what I'm seeing maybe more and more, is leadership taking time out, mm. clearing diary space, and building in time to, you know, understand these principles. So I, I think there's a lot more people reading nowadays and yeah. looking at things on places like LinkedIn and watching videos and all of this mm. sort of stuff about how to do work better. And then they need to spend some time to say, right, I've got some information and I've, I've done a enough in terms of depth of understanding mm. and maybe got some external help whatever but now I'm going to sit down with a blank sheet of paper and say this is what I need to do 
that's hard, particularly when you're used to just reacting and firefighting all the time, mm. moving from sustained kind of mindset to a, you know, I'm now going to innovate, change mindset is quite hard for a lot of leadership mm. and making that time sacred. And then they've got to figure out because they'll, they'll have moved up the change curve to maybe you know, level three or level four. <laughs> The rest of the organization are down here and yeah. they can't turn around going, well, why aren't you over here with me? They've yeah. got to work out how they take the whole organization on that journey then. And that's... And how, yeah. And how do you help them bridge bridge that gap? I mean, not you, Raj, but I mean, how does, how does new ways of working and the DevOps philosophy and essentially what's in your adaptive framework help bridge those gaps that are getting bigger if they're not treated? Uh, how do you help them bridge that gap? That's a good question. I think for for a lot of a lot of our engagements and the way we work, we've kind of we used to start off with the digital transformation agenda, right? Yeah. And you know, I guess for an organisation our size and and you know for the level of influence that we have, we're not the McKinsey's, we're not the Baines, we're not mm-hmm. those sort of people. It was that conversation was too hard to have at the top table. Mm-hmm. So our kind of very pragmatic approach is we will go in and we will help them basically build the technology. So change the thing that changes the rules. Right. Right. right yeah. Mm. So now you can do deployments to production in an hour from dev. Wow. Right. Right. You change the game. It's no longer six months or nine months. It's an hour or a day or whatever, yeah. whatever. It's time. Yeah. And then they look at this and go, well, hang on a minute. We've got to change something else now. Yeah. Mm. Now you can do daily deployments. What can, what do you need to do to change your ways of working? How mm. do you break the work down into smaller artifacts? Mm. How do you start thinking about, you know, deploying a smaller component and playing with risks and hypothesis driven development and all of that kind of stuff? Mm. How do you bring ops into the equation? So all of your work is going through that technology capability. How do you bring the product owners and, and the customer closer so that you're truly a multifunctional team? You know, and, and, and we get to the point where, you know, eventually through developing trust, to showing business case justification and benefits, we then started to have those conversations that says your rules, your rules now need to change because the world has changed and we've helped to change the world. Mm. But they're aware of that, aren't they? I mean, I mean, they're aware of cognitively, they're aware that the world is changing and business models are changing and the ways of working are changing. But typically, I mean, I believe in the in the viral change of teams of teams and the grassroots momentum yeah. coming up to the top. But but I think they have to be dealt with in parallel, don't they? The sort of two yeah. levels of the sandwich, if you like, because it does take a lot longer at the top. But I, but I think, you know, you talk about in your framework from months to minutes, which is essentially what you're describing here. So what does that mean for governance? What does it mean for the sort of reporting cycles and the metric cycles? I mean, there's a lot of discussion around OKRs, which I think are great for various reasons, not just for metrics, but what does it mean for the top tables sort of reporting dashboard and the way they view the business strategically? So, uh, again, there's the, there's the different levels of this mm. from a governance perspective. I, I think if I, if I start at the grassroots level, mm. is that, you know, one of the main things we get involved with is, is how do we bring um, security and governance into the creation of the pipelines? Right. And how do yeah. we scale yeah. The compliance of the pipeline into appropriate reports and dashboards using various tools that mm. are well out there, mm. and so that w- what you then see is actually there's if the code is not built right, it's gonna fail. If the code goes all the way through the pipeline, then it's passed all the checks and balances that it should do, mm. and then that's surfaced up. And then what I think you know as part of that, 
making sure that those metrics are aligned mm. with the, the goals and ambitions of the, the department, the team, the company, you know, in terms of things like customer satisfaction, quality, speed of delivery, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Dora have some really good kind of metrics around, you know, lead time, deployment, frequency, and those sorts of things. And, and making sure that those technology, the board table, those technology performance metrics together mm. with all the stuff now that they're seeing around security and governance that's built in and the business measures are connected mm. up and just for our I listeners can you can can you tell us what dora is uh, dora is the devops um kind of research agency they've recently been taken over by google mm. uh, and they did um uh, probably about six years worth of kind of surveys and analysis and if you go um search the state of devops reports by right. dora mm-hmm. You'll kind of see this, you know, they, they focus in on kind of four key metrics. Right. I remember them rightly. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure you do. I'm sure you do. Lead time to change, deployment frequency, change failure rate, and mean time to repair. Mm-hmm. And and they kind of representations of not only the software delivery side, but also the service delivery and, and mm. stability side. So it's the balance of speed and stability. And, you know, they've done a lot of work around correlating those technology indicators mm-hmm. business indicators around revenue and, and profitability and all, and all of those sorts of things so you know this is where i think you know at, at the top table it's not just about governance and metrics at technology level mm. it's about how how does that translate into business performance and yeah. rather than it looking at things from a cost perspective and you know it's a, a service to actually being an enabler mm. Value. I think that's one of the hardest things, though, isn't it? That sort of it's a different value creation and calibrating the culture to outcomes where it hasn't been viewed as a lever for outcomes before or measured like that. I mean, I think um, platform as a service and infrastructure as a service, and I like to think of the workplace as a service discussion. And this will be one of my last questions because we could talk for hours. But you know, what's your point of view on that? On the employee experience and and the whole move to workplace as a service particularly now after covid i mean i would have asked this question before covid after covid it's even more um workplace as a service because the workplace is looking so incredibly different and what do you mean by workplace as a service i mean it's not necessarily somewhere where you go you sit from nine to five you do what you've got to do you get up and 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 you go home it's you're expecting more from your workplace than you did before you're expecting more social interaction you're expecting services there as you would do like Uber and um, Airbnb, you expect to find things there that are at your service as well as going there to provide service. And I think that's the digital age mindset that's been brought, you know, by having things at our fingertips and particularly in the younger generations. I'm interested in what you think that means for the culture and the employee experience. Small question, just to finish with. <laughs> We've got enough time to answer that question. <laughs> ah, right, so where do I start with that? I think... Where I want to start with that is, again, employment's gone through a massive shift, right? Mm. Where even in, in my old, the enterprise I did work in, it was one of those places you'd join, it'd be a job for life, yeah. right? Yeah. You wouldn't think of moving, you wouldn't think of changing. In fact, you were quite happy with porter cabins or whatever it was, <laughs> as long as you were kind of yeah. doing work yeah. and getting paid for it kind of mm. thing. But I think, you know, expectation is changing now. And it's almost, you know, organizations, particularly with people moving around more often, you know, maybe yeah. every two years, yeah. they're looking for more than just the paycheck. They're looking to be part of something bigger, mm-hmm. purpose, as kind of Sutherland calls it in his book, Scrum. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they, they want to belong and, and be part of a community. You know, it, it, they need to feel like they're valued, not just for what they do, but who they are. Yeah. Yeah. They want to fit in into the organization's culture. Uh, and they want to be productive. They want to be able to go home saying, look, I made a difference. And, and creating an environment for that. And then this is where maybe, you know, you start thinking about kind of some of the Googles and Facebooks and all, all of what they've got. It doesn't have to be that extreme, but what 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 is what is that kind of ecosystem environment look like so that mm. employees can be the best they can be? A lady called Patty McCord wrote a book called Powerful, uh, and she was a HR director of um, Netflix. Okay, she said people are powered, don't take it away. Yes, I, I really I've like heard that quite. Yeah. Mm. Like if you you know if you're coming to work or if you've got employees who are coming to work, how are you making sure you're getting the best from them? Right. Mm. That, you know, and again, some of the DevOps practices and principles come in, you know, how do you automate the toil? How do mm. you get the mundane? How do you get pe- your best people focused on the hardest problems mm. rather than, you know, just fixing the next fire and the next yeah. fire? You know? yeah. Yeah. And how do you provide and I'll come on to COVID in a minute, but how do you provide a workplace that is bright and stimulates conversation and collaboration and you know, if you, if you search DevOps groups, kind of Cardiff office, you'll see, you know, it looks proper funky and you know, <laughs> bean bags everywhere. Bean bags and, and <laughs> coffee machine, uh, Coke and Coca-Cola mm, on tap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not, not good for that. sugar levels, not good for sugar levels. No, but, you know, lots yeah. of kind of facilities mm. available to make mm. the environment, you know, conducive to conversation, collaboration and stuff like that. And mm. You know, it's quite interesting how I read an article, I think it was on the BBC, about how workplaces of the future might be post-COVID, yeah. where there might be more collaboration zones rather than somewhere where people just go and sit all day. And, and you know, different ways of kind of getting in and having kind of heat sensors, check how warm you are. Yeah, I saw that, yes. Yeah. aspects everywhere to kind of, you know, block people off from things. But, you know, you can already see people redesigning the mm. way we might work in the office space. But right now, it's really hard whilst everybody's, well, yeah. knowledge workers, let's call it, knowledge mm. workers are now confined to their home, mm. to their mm. bedroom, their offices, whatever. Yeah. And so having, creating the fabric that allows for a bit of chit-chat at the yeah. beginning of yeah. meetings, you know, mm. And, you know, we have this thing called Coffee Buddies where it randomly kind of puts two people from the organization together to kind of simulate the water cooler conversation. Okay. Uh, that's one of the Slack tools. You know, our kind of gathering where we get together, it's all via Zoom now, but just bringing right. them together and having some fun and yeah. can, boards and just yeah. still try and feel part mm. of, the fabric of an organization is quite it's quite hard, but it can be done, but it just takes a lot more effort. Yeah, time and effort. But like we said before, we even started the recording. I think virtual working is great in some ways, but it can just become so transactional, like you say, unless you take the time and you have to be explicit about inclusion and, and the sort of social part of it, don't you? OK, time is running. My last question would be, do you have a last piece of advice for leaders or organisations looking to create and lead a more agile environment? Clearly, they should read your framework, <laughs> but apart but apart from that, I think that for me, this type of transformation, this type of change, and, and you know, if anybody wants to reenact the Mel Gibson movie *Lethal Weapon* with me and <laughs> do a show and tell on scars, I'm more than happy to do that. <laughs> I'm going to get loads of calls now, aren't I? Yeah, I'm going to give you a number at the end. Be careful. Yeah. 
it's not easy. This is not easy. You know, I've just finished reading a book, um, Leadership is Language by David Marquet, who wrote mm-hmm. the book Turn the Ship Around. And he talks yeah. about kind of red work and blue work and mm-hmm. how red work was manual, blue work was thought leadership and innovation. And, and they were done by two different people. Now expecting people to do that all the time together. Today, you know, we're quite happy to put a Gantt chart together and tell a developer this is what you're going to build and do not deviate. And then off they go and they move into red work mode. Well, actually, they need to bring the blue work into their daily work to say, actually, you know, this isn't going to work. I've got to mm. change it. To, you know, Toyota talk about the best people to solve the problems are the ones closest to it. Yeah. Now, if you're a leader out there and you're thinking, oh, my goodness, what, you know, how am I going to go through this? First of all, you've got to recognize it's probably going to take two, three, four years to do this, to do it properly. Yeah, it's a marathon. <laughs> but don't try and boil the ocean. I'm going yeah. to use all of the cliches. <laughs> You know, find somewhere, find somebody. Mm. If you're a you know senior leader, go find like somebody who's really keen on learning, keen on you know developing, growing, and really keen on wanting to um, you know they're potentially a high potential that that needs mm. a challenge. Mm. And say, right, okay, let's let's go on this journey and find an area and solve it for that area. Mm. Show enough like green shoes to be mm. you start doing it somewhere else. Don't try and sheep dip the whole organization. Because you'll just get bad practices yeah. and the name of Agile, DevOps, Lean, whatever you want to call it, will just sour very quickly. Mm. So do it well, really well in one place. But in order to do this, and I'm going to repeat what I said, you know, how could I change the organization when I was part of the problem? Yeah. So my advice to leaders, particularly, you know, if you've been doing your job really well and everything you've done, you know, the, the, the career that you've built has been successful but you're now worried about it's not going to be what's needed for the future is you've got to reinvent yourself yeah. um, and, and spend time, you know, reading the books, reading the blogs, reading my white paper, if you want mm-hmm. to, <laughs> you know, go speak to other people, mm-hmm. go to some of the forums around, you know, digital DevOps, AI, machine, whatever, mm-hmm. and start feeding the engine and change those patterns and pictures that are in your mind. Right. Yeah, of how it should and be. You feel different mm. things, mm. and then you'll act, and then do small changes, and don't expect. You know, everybody wants the answer, and everybody wants the answer tomorrow. Yeah, right. You're not going to figure out the answer straight away. It's probably going to take some time, and then when you've put that in place, and and your organisation then has to go on that journey with you, it's going to be t- it's going to take time before you get the results. Yeah, and there was a point, and I'm going to say this: my boss turned round to me when just about. Every member of in, in the boardroom had a failure associated to my services. <laughs> right? And it, it was just such that we went round the table this way and I was sat next to him over here and he looked, mm. that wasn't very good, was it? And I said, no, boss. I didn't, mm. call, I didn't call him boss, but you know what I mean. Yeah. A few days later, he does um, what all good leaders do. He taps me on the shoulder and said, look, do you want to chat? I was thinking, oh, I'm fired. No, I'm fired. <laughs> He said, you know, what do you need? And I could have got my checkbook out. I could have said, look, sign this. I need mm. more people. I need I need automation. I need cloud. I need whatever, right? And I turned around to him, and, and I remember this conversation. I said, I just want one thing. I need time. I can see my people changing. The language in the office is changing. People are now talking about sprints, understanding what a sprint is, and yeah. stories, understanding what a valuable story is because they've done the training. And they, they you know, there were Kanban boards everywhere in all the offices. Look, I just need a bit of time. Tell me. Get better. Mm. Honestly, we went from 30 changes a year to 400 a month. Wow. And no 
we had 12 Sev 1s a month on average. Mm. We went to zero Sev 1s wow. over a six-month period. And we, we reduced the incoming incident backlog. Bearing in mind, we had more users, more features. We were deploying more often. Mm. Uh, the, the, the number of incidents coming back to the team had dropped by 70%. Wow. Okay, so the figures speak for themselves, don't they? <laughs> My my team satisfaction went from I think it was about forty up to about eighty. Brilliant, brilliant. Just through giving people more time and doing small things well and building on them. Yeah, education okay. for me, time for me, education for the teams, time for the teams, and enabling them with the capabilities they need. Mm. Whether that and then that's where some of the technologies, you know, cloud automation, mm. etc., giving them what they need to be able to speed up the work. Excellent. Well, I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll be on for another hour or so. So thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us. Where can people find out more about what you do, your white paper, things like that? Yeah, they go to the, the DevOps Group website. Mm-hmm. Um, there's um, a section in there called Insights. So there's you know the adaptive IT frameworks in there. There's all my blogs and you know all our internal resources. If people want to know about what steps they can take in terms of education and training, we've got an academy. Mm-hmm. So again, that's on our website and, you know, even the, the foundation in, in DevOps and the foundation in Agile, BCS courses, certified, can be done online or remote, you know, mm-hmm. on, you know online training or remotely. I think starting to get some of that knowledge and, and if you're already on the journey, you know, yeah. one of the things that, you know, we've built over the last year is a pragmatic Agile course. Okay. And that Excellent. really takes all of these principles and philosophies and stuff like that and then shows you how to do it in real life because that's the next gap. Yeah, how, how to put it into practice. These things properly yeah. Yeah. by practitioners, not by trainers. Mm. And, and, you know, we've done that now successfully quite a number of times. So people yeah. want some of that help. And, and finally, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, so if people want to kind of reach out and have a chin wag you know how much i like a good chin <laughs> yeah, we're bad for that both of us so on that note thank you very much we hope you enjoyed this episode and if so please head over to itunes and give us your opinion and review so it's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of let's talk <laughs>